I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of May 2022, and is once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for uh, having me back. It's great to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a good episode. Yeah, it feels like a long time since we chatted, so I'm really excited to dip into this one. But, uh, dear listener, folks at home, uh, if you're not aware of the format, uh, essentially what a Tales from the Shelf episode entails is a uh, Brad and I both happen to own uh, numerous DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4Ks. We have vast movie collections, and uh, this these monthly episodes basically serve as a platform for us to swap stories about our collecting endeavors. Uh, so, Brad, uh, would you care to introduce uh, the theme for this month's episode? Yeah, you know, always trying to come up with new theme ideas, and uh, just kind of came to me last night. I said, uh, let's do the Lean and Juicy episode. So these are movies that are 90 minutes or less, you know, cut out all the fat, short run times, always a plus for me. Yes, yes. I, I, I was so excited for this theme because uh, it's it's one of those things actually in like daily discourse about like contemporary films and whatnot. It seems to be a recurring topic of discussion. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about how damn long movies are these days. Now, I don't know your feelings on the subject, Brad, but I'd be curious to know them because unlike unlike myself, like you actually go to the theater fairly regularly. I mean, you're, the Cinema Speak podcast is largely about films that are con- currently in theaters. Uh, not the case with Catching Up on Cinema. We're, we're, we just kind of keep it at home. We keep it cozy. <laughs> we, we don't go out in public. We, we're, we're shut-ins that way, but... Um, for you, like, like from your standpoint, do you are you of the mind that like movies are getting longer or or are getting bloated to some extent? Yeah, definitely. I'd say within the last couple of years, that's been a trend. It's they've definitely been hitting that two and a half hour mark. Um, I do feel, based on like my memory, I feel like partially, probably, or actually mainly because of Lord of the Rings. I feel like the early to mid two thousands, there was also um, everything was just like epic in length. Um, you know, every all, all the big blockbusters had to be over two and a half hours. And then I think they, they kind of pared them down a little bit. And it was, you know, like the big movies got to be, you know, like maybe two hours, sometimes even less. Um, but now we're starting to hit that, uh, that, uh, that girth again. Everything's getting, getting way too long. I'm sure the big success of, uh, Spider-Man, No Way Home, I'm sure that only will contribute to future installments being very long. Although Doctor Strange, surprisingly, wasn't that long. But anyway, it just with the trend of people going to theaters, and the average person probably only goes to see maybe four, maybe five movies a year if they're lucky. And, you know, those people, they probably say, I'm only going to the movies this many times a year. I want bang for my buck. I don't care if it's too long. I want to make sure, I want to get my money's worth where... With me, yeah, I go all the time, so I'm like, keep it short, keep it simple. Don't, I don't have the soundboard connected, but don't waste my motherfucking time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't waste my motherfucking time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the soundboard. In fact, uh, Kyle, on our most recent episode on our uh, Scream 2022 review, 
Uh, he actually tested it out on the air for the first time. I still haven't worked out the kinks. The volume's still a little too low, mm-hmm. but he he is determined. It it will happen. We will have a soundboard of our own. Had a boy, yeah. I, I just saw that episode came out today, so I haven't listened to it yet. But uh, he's he's messaged me a couple times, and uh, is he using the same software that uh, I recommend? Exactly the same software. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it works yeah, great. He, yeah, all the thanks in the world goes to Brad for that because he's <laughs> he's the pioneer of the of the soundboard on a podcast. No one else had ever done that before. Never, never been done. <laughs> never, not never even in radio. No, nope, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm very much inclined to agree with that last point in particular about audience expectations. I feel like, you know, the the theater experience, like it's it's one of those things that I I like to believe that's important to me. But evidence has shown, like just based on the number of times I've gone out to the theater in recent years, that maybe it's not that important to me. Um, but I do value its continued existence. I I just like knowing it's there. Um, but I do think that like it is under attack to some extent, largely because the you know, the endless proliferation of streaming services and direct to streaming content. I feel like you're, you're absolutely right that there probably is like an expectation where it's like potentially length and, and budget size translates to a grander experience than something at home can offer. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if maybe there was a sentiment among, among production staff and studios that's like, we have to, we have to offer something that the other platforms aren't. Uh, even if that means make just like cramming way too much into the thing just to call that a selling point of some sort. And I think it even extends maybe to, to the way drama is conveyed as well. Because I, I was, I mean, this is an entirely baseless theory, but I was just pointing out to Kyle, like some of the emotional depths that that latest Scream movie goes to, like some some of the emotional scenes in that felt like, I feel like we're just going big because like maybe there's an expectation that it's it's a movie so we need to go big occasionally just just so people feel like they got something out of it other because if it's if it's too flat then it's like well i paid you know it's like i could have wa- i could have watched a shitty slasher movie at home for free <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck yeah. <laughs> i don't know like i said totally baseless theory but i really love this idea for an episode though lean and juicy not girthy, lean and juicy. Yeah. That's what, what we're shooting for. So, uh, what I mean for a future installment, then what is the opposite of lean and juicy? Fat and thick and girthy. I'll <laughs> we'll have to do that someday. No, thi- what? Th- what's dry? What? What's another word for dry? I don't. I don't have a thesaurus handy, mm. but yeah, obviously, it it's something being published on the internet, so it has to have the word thick in there. Yeah, with, that'll, that'll I don't know place. how many C's, but probably four or five. Um, but yeah, thick and dry. <laughs> Fuck that. Thick and weather. Oof, oof. That sounds awful, Brad. Yeah, I don't know if that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an adults-only episode. But um, yeah. Uh, so if you missed it, folks at home, the theme uh, for our picks for today's episode uh, are sub ninety-minute films. Uh, so ninety minutes and under, uh, okay, which yeah. so, seems so 90, 90 minutes counts, correct? Like we're we're, we're yes, counting that. ninety oh. minutes on the nose counts. Like right. that's how I counted it. That's, you, that's Brad came up with the theme, so it's, he can rewrite the rules on me anytime he wants. <laughs> yeah. Ninety minutes or less. That's that's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, uh, as is customary, I will uh, do my hosting duty and toss Brad directly under the bus and ask that he uh, be the first to present his lean and juicy pick. 
Uh, so, Brad, what you got? Well, let's let's kick it off. I because I said let's kick it off with this one. It is ninety minutes on the button with a bullet. It's ninety minutes at least. Um, as of now, I do not have access to my collection right now, so I'm going off of my Blu-ray.com app. So, according to the Blu-ray.com app, this is ninety minutes with a bullet. So let's hope that's uh, correct. I guess maybe I should have verified with IMDb or something. Um, oh, no. well, while, while Brad is pulling it up, I may as well intercede real quick. Again, doing my hosting duty of trampling all over Brad's pick uh, before he even gets out the gate. Um, I'll, I just want to share a brief list of films that I was ah, very surprised. Correct, yeah. I was very surprised to learn are over 90 minutes. Uh, so I was delving into the depths of some of the, uh, I don't know, low-grade trash I have on my shelf because part of my brain was telling me, well, if it's crap, it's got to be short, Right. And it's like, well, well, surprise, surprise, I guess not. Uh, so I'll just rattle off some titles here. I'm not going to go into detail or anything, but just uh, so Carl Weathers in Action Jackson is over 90 minutes. And uh, the biggest surprise for me, and I was actually expecting to pull all of these off the shelf, um, is a uh, was it Jome Colette Sarah? Uh, I was expecting mm-hmm. to pull almost every movie of his that I own off the shelf just because of the nature of his films. I actually really like him as a director for the most part. Very stylish, very slick. Uh, he he makes he makes interesting films. Um, not quality films necessarily, but he takes something that could be perfunctory and and kind of just like a fart in the wind, and he adds a layer of gloss and style to it that actually makes something of it. Um, but yeah, Run All Night, Nonstop, uh, The Commuter, all three of those are over ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to hear that. Bloodsport. Bloodsport 1, 3, and 4 are all over 90 minutes. Bloodsport 2 is 86, though. Oh, so that counts. Uh, <laughs> that counts. <laughs> I didn't pull that. I've talked about fucking Bloodsport enough. Um, the Wraith. Uh, so that would be a Vestron video mm. pick, which uh, Brad is, of course, a proud owner of every Vestron video title. Um, Little Nemo, uh, Adventures in Slumberland. Uh, it's an animated film. Also, that was another idea I had coming into my picks was animation it's expensive it takes fucking forever to make it you would imagine it would also be short shocker uh there are many animated films that are over 90 minutes uh the mighty morphin power rangers movie is over 90 minutes Brad. that's surprising yeah uh that movie is is just like it feels like it feels like a dream like it's just like you blink and it's over it's like what that was 98 minutes what the fuck uh, the Giver is over 90 minutes. Paper Tigers is over 90 minutes. Psycho Goreman is over 90 minutes. The Valley of Guanji is over 90 minutes. Uh, apparently, Dave Bautista has some sort of clause in his contract that's like, no, brother, we're doing over 90 minutes. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't show up to the set unless we're going over 90 minutes. Because uh, Bushwick and Final Score are both over 90 minutes. Mm. Bushwick, I was very surprised, was over 90 minutes. Uh, that's the, for, that's the one hit. from uh, my boys, right? Uh Yes, I forget their name, but it's a pair of directors. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I just looked it up. Becky is also over ninety minutes, ninety-three. Yeah, uh, if you can look up their names while I'm rattling through this, uh, I'd appreciate that because yeah. it's worth citing online. But because uh, they do good work. Yeah, it's Jonathan Millet and Carrie Mernian. Thank you, thank my you boys. So much. My boy, uh, the big hit is over ninety minutes. Every 
single Steven Seagal film that I own is over 90 minutes. Ah. Shocker. Did not see that coming. The Super Mario Brothers film is over 90 minutes, as is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. Uh, the second one is 88 minutes, though. You know, the Super Mario Brothers one, I was going to say, that doesn't, like, it seems like it should be um, less than 90 minutes, but also the last time I watched it, it felt like it was almost three hours. So, it, actually, that's right. <laughs> That tracks. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It does not exactly move. Um, but anyway, that's that's my list of surprise films that are shockingly over 90 minutes in length. Anyway, Brad, uh, ball is to you, sir. What is your first pick? So my first pick uh, for Lean and Juicy, the ultimate 90-minute watch of all time, all 100-plus years of cinema, only came out within the last two years, surprisingly. It's less than two years old, and it's the ultimate 90-minute movie in all 100-plus years of cinema. I mean, what are the odds of that, right? What are the odds? But, you know, that's how it is. Um, <laughs> that movie is a movie that uh, I'm pretty sure you also enjoyed, and I borderline loved, is the Lionsgate classic, Unhinged, with Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, this movie was like. For, first of all, it, I've, I've said it. It is almost the. Oh, there it is! There it is! My yeah. Yes. Um, this movie, it's got a special place in my heart because it kind of was. I think it did come out before Tenet. Even it was like when movie theaters did a soft reopen. It was like the very first, like marquee release, at least that had like a name to it, and so it was kind of like, oh, that's you know interesting. And I saw it at the drive-in because the theaters were still shut down around me, but it came out at the drive-in because that was opened. And it is the perfect drive-in movie because you got the ninety-minute runtime, which is big because you're seeing a double feature. You don't want anything more than ninety minutes. You want two ninety-minute movies. It is. R-rated, which is just great because there's children around and people are getting their, like, uh, arm sliced or what I forget that the guy in the diner, however he dies, um, which is great. I love that at the drive-in. And most importantly, it is almost exclusively taking place in daylight, which is the most important factor for a drive-in movie. So this movie's got all three going for it. Um, unhinged. I I really enjoy it. It's uh just kind of you know it's trashy, but it it's f- trashy fun. That's not like it's not winking at all. It just kind of knows what it is. It gets in, gets out. It's gory. It's it's got some suspenseful sequences. Um, and I just remember I've only seen it all the way through one, the one time. I own it. I haven't rewatched it, but I remember we went to the drive-in. It was the first movie of a double feature one weekend i think it was the first movie so we watched it we're like that was surprisingly good that was a nice surprise um and then the next weekend we went back to the drive-in and it was the second movie of the double feature and we went on a weeknight so we were like well we've already seen unhinged we're not we'll just watch the first movie and leave because that was our only options for seeing movies at the time and we watched the first movie unhinged starts and it's a weeknight and it's already like 11 o'clock and we just sit there and we start watching unhinged and we made it about almost probably about an hour into the movie before we're like, all right, we got work in the morning. We got to go. But this, it, it, it sucked us back in. It, it is uh, <laughs> it is solid stuff. I, I really enjoy unhinged. 
Oh, it's it's fantastic. Like as soon as I saw the early marketing for it, I was like, fucking yes. <laughs> like uh, actually the thing that sold me on it the most, even more so than the early trailers, was that candid photo of Russell Crowe smoking, like outside. I was like, I need to see that in action. <laughs> I need to see that moving with intensity. Yep. And he delivers. Like he really showed the fuck up for that movie. You could tell he was having a blast. Uh like you said. Uh, probably a perfect drive-in film. I didn't see it that way myself. I, I bought it on Blu-ray and watched... I blind bought it on Blu-ray uh, and just watched it, enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, but I could totally see it playing in a drive-in and just being a total fucking blast because it, mm-hmm. it moves. It takes place largely in cars. It's all in daylight. And it's... I don't know. There's just something special about it that just really works. <laughs> It's it's has it's almost a little bit like a red eye, I guess, but like just more chaotic and and like moving like much much faster than that. Um, it I'm not positive how I feel about the wrap up to it, um, but the ride to the very last few scenes is it's tremendous. Uh, I would it, agree. It delivers. Yeah. The end is probably the weakest part. The opening because it's the only part that takes place at night, and I couldn't see what was happening, and uh, the the ending. The only two parts. That uh, were a bit of a, 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 a bummer, but everything in between is just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we're talking this movie up so much that it's like I, I'm t- tempted to just to not spoil it. But I, I will say that um, part of me feels like that first scene probably shouldn't have been there. Um, I feel like maybe it would have it would have been a more interesting movie, but I don't know if it would have moved as quickly is the problem. Like part of me, like from a storytelling standpoint, would have wanted to hold back a little bit mm-hmm. like leave a little bit of mystery but i mean i can't i can't fault the filmmakers like clearly they knew what they were doing because I'm, I'm praising their work it, it ends up being a, a really fun thrill ride but um by the way derek bort or borte is the director i believe he's german um and i, I glanced at his filmography uh, while brad was talking and uh doesn't look like he has anything in the pipe at the moment which is a shame because yeah, this this movie did kind of sweep it like swept in uh, amidst the pandemic, and it was one of the first movies to like make some waves. Um, although, Brett, I mean, I'm trying to remember your life for you, but was it Smurfs two or like Nomeo and Juliet that was attached to that or something? It wasn't like an animated movie. Actually, oh, so maybe it was the second movie of that first. Yeah, it must have been. Um, I be- I believe it was Trolls two, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe it was Trolls 2. Some which, small uh, animated figure with dancing yeah. in it. <laughs> that was also a very uh, um, important movie, I believe, in film history, because I, I, I could be wrong, but I believe that might have been the very first um, movie that skipped theaters initially and went straight for the 1999 rental. Oh. Um, I think it was the first time they did that pricey rental, I think. Um it was one of the first because I remember I just remember people I know were everybody at least on like you know people I know in real life like were on like Facebook and that stuff like they were like whoa we're watching Trolls 2 this is great we can watch it all but I'm just like Trolls 2 what the hell why nobody be watching it but they 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 had it they had the first idea they said we're gonna do it charge them with that 20 bucks and yeah people bought it yeah I can't remember because my I mean I don't I don't have kids yet, uh, but that's a someday thing. But um, so I, I don't have my my ear to the ground for that kind of stuff. But uh, 
I I seem to remember Mulan was one of the early ones as well. Mm-hmm. That that one you had to get it through Disney Plus though. It was a premium rental through. That's what then that one's where it's like whoa they're really charging arm and leg because it was like you had, you had to subscribe to Disney Plus and pay the premium fee. Like woo. Yeah, I remember that one actually legitimately like angered people. Whereas mm-hmm. the trolls one, like I don't think anybody cared. It's yeah. like I got I got kids here. It's like it's like twenty bucks isn't asking much. They were they were <laughs> desperate. Yeah, when this came out. Yeah, yeah. I've I've God I can't imagine. Jeez, but um, yeah, uh, as evidenced by me holding up the Blu-ray, this was in my queue as well. So I don't need to talk about this one anymore. But. Yeah, uh, Unhinged is fantastic, and it's it's what like ninety minutes on the nose. Yeah, with a bullet. Ninety minutes with a bullet. Mm, mm, phenomenal, <laughs> lean and juicy at its best. <laughs> um, well, what do I got? Uh, river or ocean, Brad? Say, like, what what do you feel on river? I gotta or ocean? go ocean. I gotta go ocean. Ocean. Oh, I love water, so either is great, but. We're going to the fucking beach. Okay. <laughs> Either way, something's gonna, something bad's gonna happen in a body of water. The, the okay. Beach so with we have DiCaprio here. is less than ninety minutes. No, <laughs> we're going to a movie that is set on a beach, ah, okay. not the beach, not the twi- the titular beach from the Leonardo DiCaprio film, the Danny Boyle film. Uh, no. Uh, speaking of uh, Jomé Colette Serra, uh, I believe this is directed by him. Uh, we have The Shallows on 4K. Boom. Yeah, uh, certified fresh. Uh, I bought this on 4K uh, largely because, well, I, I think I had just gotten Jaws on 4K, and I was I was feeling sharky. I was feeling in the mood for some shark action. I actually saw this in the theater um, and had a grand old time with it. It was it was great fun. I saw it with somebody who actually gives a shit about Blake Lively. Uh, I do not. Not a selling point for me whatsoever. I was like, is she going to get bit? <laughs> like, but either way, it was a lot of fun in the theater. But um, I actually bought this disc, um, like I said, after a viewing of Jaws, uh, because uh, I looked up the specs on Blu- on the lovely website Blu-ray.com, uh, and they I think they rated it a 5 out of 5 in terms of visual fidelity. And I was like, I, I like that movie. I like shark movies. I would like an excuse to rewatch that shark movie in fucking 4K, and so I bought it. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and this movie uh, is, I think, also 90 minutes with a bullet. Uh, can't actually read because, hey, Blu-ray uh, 4K cases are black, and uh, the uh, font choice is not exactly the right color for people that are visually impaired to read it. <laughs> um, but I seem to remember looking this up, and I think it's 90 minutes flat. Um but yeah, it moves. It has that that splendid visual and editing flair to it that I, I love so much in a movie like this, where uh, they take something as simple as uh, text messages and they make it seem not gimmicky or silly, but actually like a, it turns into a a skillful and fluid way of pushing the narrative forward efficiently. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of like a, a thrill a minute movie that it's very immediate. Uh, it's beautiful to look at. Some of the photography is really cool. The CGI is actually pretty handsome for the most part. There's only a couple of kind of raggedy shots in there that maybe they punched a little bit above their weight uh, towards the, again, kind of somewhere to unhinged. Like maybe they pushed it a little too far or something. But um, I really I really enjoy that movie. Uh, I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did, but a lot of it comes down to just straight up direction. Like 
I mean, in terms of like performances, you're kind of it's just the Blake Lively show and some CGI sharks for the most part. So mm -hmm. uh, it like it all comes down to the editing and, and the flow of it, and it really does move. Um, and it has it has very few kills, but at least they're fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoy the film as well. Um, that was one of the first 4Ks I ever bought, along with The Revenant. So got a special place in my heart, and I still remember going to see it on a summer Saturday morning. I think, well, maybe, yeah, it was probably Saturday. It was in the morning. And it was like I went to the first showing, like 10.30 a.m., only one other person in the theater. So what a great way to kick off a summer day by watching a shark movie in theaters. It was just it was a great time, and, uh, you know, it kind of did um, kick off a bit of a shark movie trend for a little bit there. I think it may have since died off, but I think the next year after that, we had 47 meters down. Then we had the classic 47 meters down uncaged. Uh, there, I think there might have been another one too. But yeah, th th that film definitely is the best out of those, and I do like that director most of his stuff. And, you know, he's just kind of slick, and he kind of seems like he knows what wheelhouse he operates in. He's not trying to you know punch above his weight too much i guess yeah that's that's always been like one of my one of my things about him is that he he seems unpretentious in what he's trying to accomplish with his films where it's mm -hmm. like he he knows it's, it's consumer grade schlock but that doesn't mean you don't bring your ambition to the to the show like like yeah the script may be kind of flimsy like performances might not all be there but if we can shoot and edit the thing stylishly and slickly and put it together to, in a nice, pretty package, then fuck it. Let's go for it. Um, and I've, I've long held that sentiment when it comes to like mid or low budget filmmaking. It's like, if I can see the ambition in the finished product, uh, that that's that's what makes me feel best in watching a movie. Like it doesn't it doesn't have to be the best movie I've ever seen. It doesn't have to be absolutely pristine. Like if there's like it, it can have flaws, but when I can tell that they're really shooting for the moon with what they have, that's that's a great feeling. Like uh, uh, the commuter, for instance, has like a, a a protracted action sequence in it involving a probably near sixty year old or probably sixty year old Liam Neeson having a fist fight with a dude, and the way it's shot and edited is working with what they have. It's like okay, we have a performer who is very old <laughs> and not not never never has he ever been especially elegant in the way he moves he he was fairly agile at one point in his life but he's never been elegant he's he's like six foot four man <laughs> like most actors are probably a foot shorter than him and it's hard to work with people that there's a discrepancy in height like and reach in particular but clearly they they worked with him on it and they played to whatever strengths he might have. And then the rest of it is very, very skillfully hidden by clever edits and framing. Um, it's one of those things that probably was just a, a fart in the screenplay. And it probably came down to the director and the stunt crew saying like, hey, we could probably make something of that. And it all came, it all comes down to guts and effort. And I, I really appreciate that kind of stuff. And virtually all of his movies have some measure of that in them. Um, and The Shallows is a good example of that. In fact, it's probably one of his just overall better movies, honestly. Um, but yeah, actually, it's funny. Uh, you bring up uh, the shark movie trend of, of what the late 2010s. Um, um, there's a, another movie that I forgot to mention that surprised me by being uh, over 90 minutes. That would be James Nunn's uh, One Shot, 
mm-hmm. uh, which I did a solo review of for catching up on cinema. It was an emergency episode of sorts. Um, but the whole gimmick of that production is that it's it's shot front to back to like be seamlessly stitched together and appear to be a single take. Um, it's it's a beautiful production and a very 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 low budget production. Um, and the action sequences do not take any bump in quality because of it. Um, and the only reason I, I'm rambling about right now is because uh, James Nunn's latest film happens to be a shark film. And it's called Shark Bait. Um, and I believe it came out very, very recently. Um, yeah. So off of the strength of some of his other movies in his filmography, all of which have had Scott Atkins, Shark Bait does not. Um, I may actually check that one out. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple uh, shark movies that we need to watch this summer. We got that. We got what the the, the Requin. The re- I always forget how you say it. I, I never knew, but it's spelt that way. Like yeah. phonetically, that's what it looks like. Yeah, I love watching these things. You, you gotta, they're, they're summertime watches. You got to do it. Yeah. Uh, when is uh, Discovery's uh, Shark Month? Because that used to be a thing on TV when I had TV. I don't know anymore, though. But that that always used to be a thing. And like the other cable networks would, would get in on it, too. Because Jaws was just always on like CBS, TNT, or USA through through most of the 90s and 2000s. And uh, it was only inevitable, it was inevitable that like movies like Deep Blue Sea would be thrown in behind that. And I'm sure the Meg is on fairly standard rotation these days as well on like FX or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Meg is another, it's a little different, but that was, you know, part of the um, the trend a little bit. Uh, well, according to sharkmunch.com, um, Discovery has still not announced the date for um, Shark Week 2022, but their best guess is either late July or early August. So check back on sharkmunch.com as they will update once they are officially announced. So keep your eye on sharkmunch.com. Check it out. Okay. I don't know if I could get Kyle to do that, but a Shark Month just seems like a thing that you do if you have a movie podcast for long enough. Yeah, so that's a good may, idea, maybe actually. that's a someday project that's like i feel idea. like it, if you've been doing a podcast for five years or more it's like you better just you better just bite the bullet and do a shark month <laughs> like it's expected well it's great with a shark month is that you at least got of course you got jaws but you at least got you know you got the shallows uh like you know it's not like all crap like you know there's no there's quite a few Fuck no there's a lot of good shark movies. shark movies you could come up with four good shark movies easily i could do a fucking master class on deep blue sea yeah <laughs> like, mm-hmm. i mean that would be my excuse to watch those direct-to-video sequels of which there are at least two that i know of oh and open water or oh, better yet open water 2 which is that i would love you guys to do open water 2 even though i guess that one's not really technically that one's not really a shark movie there is like a brief, yeah. Uh, I I remember you bringing it up on your show, Brad. Is that the one where they for, that they just forget to put out the ladder? Yeah, yeah. They put they forget <laughs> to put the ladder down on their yacht. It's amazing. That's 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 the, that the single most amazing catalyst for a story. <laughs> the, oh, I forgot to put out the ladder. <laughs> it, it, like it's not good, but it is like my favorite movie. I need to rewatch it because it's like my favorite movie just to describe the plot of from start to finish. It is just because it's like it's so it's so simple and it's like kind of like it's it's so simple that I'm like, I kind of like that premise, but it's also really <laughs> dumb and just like where it goes, it get it gets progressively dumber. But I don't know. There's something about it that just I always I always for, I always think about that movie. 
I mean, I'm sold on it. I mean, it that's that's the one thing I know about it just just from listening to you talk about. But it that like I often tell Kyle when he goes on and on about how much he hates a movie, it's like, well, well, now I have to see it. <laughs> it's like you don't understand. Like that just makes me want to see it more. And when I hear that a movie starts that way. Like, a crisis film begins with a bunch of idiots jumping off a fucking yacht and forgetting to put out the ladder. It's like, I need to see how this goes. It's great. There's, like, some great reveals. Like, not to spoil anything, but they say, how could you forget to leave the ladder down on your own boat? Turns out, it wasn't his boat. Uh, and you'll find out more about that when you actually watch it. Um, Ooh, mystery and intrigue. <laughs> I, um, another one, you know, not to keep going on about shark movies but one that i've never seen that i really want to see which is probably not good but um have you heard of bait i believe is the title bait no i haven't so this one i i just remember when the trailer came out and i thought this is going to be the greatest movie in my entire life i never saw it but it basically is like there's a hurricane or some sort of big storm that causes a massive flood it must be a hurricane and these people get trapped in this grocery store that floods and like w- the water flows in through this grocery store and in comes a shark that is in the gro and they're up on the shelves of the grocery store and there there's a shark like swimming through the shell like the the aisles of the grocery store oh gotta cool. get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> i need to get my pop tarts bro yeah <laughs> <laughs> before they get soggy <laughs> yeah Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I like an that. An Australian supermarket, a free, a tsunami. It's a tsunami. My my okay. mistake. That makes more sense. Oh yeah, a tsunami. No, that, that that's a solid premise. That's pretty. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, that's that's always going to be your starting point these days for such a for such well trodden ground because like shark because of Jaws, like shark movies are like oftentimes baby's first movie honestly like from both an audience and a filmmaker standpoint. Mm-hmm. So like the the only real way to to move forward with that is to try your best to innovate by coming up with goofy premises like that but that one actually sounds kind of interesting to me it's actually got um uh, i don't know if you ever saw this but sharni vinson from your next is in it <clears throat> i have seen i have seen that but i don't know who that is she's the she's the main girl in it that okay fights okay. back so all the sharni heads out there check it out if you're a shark head or a sharni head you're gonna want to <laughs> see bait Okay, well, the folks at home, stay tuned. There will probably be a shark month between the two of our shows at some point. <laughs> um, oh yeah. That being said, uh, that's enough. Uh, the shallows. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that you don't have another shark film lined up. But uh, Brad, ball is to you, sir. What's your next pick? I don't think I do have another shark movie lined up, but I do have a little transition here. So you got shark movies. You know what? it's uh not a good thing they say even though sharks you know are dangerous sometimes you're not supposed to kill them that's not good and people sometimes people do that and I'm, that's not a good thing but if the people that do it sometimes they they trap a shark and how do they do that they use rope which leads me into the alfred hitchcock movie rope from nineteen forty eight. Yeah, Brad King of the Transition. Wow. Um, that was <laughs> stretch. So yeah, this movie eighty minutes. And uh, you know, I I'd, I'd heard about this movie, you know, the whole thing where it's, you know, a bunch of long extended takes. It's not actually made to look like one take. 
there are some at least set like there are cuts that they hide but there are at least two or three like like just straight cuts um like hard hard cuts um but i really find myself once i finally sat and watched this uh, the premise is a little bit of a you know hard speaking of sharks hard to swallow um, but, <laughs> but, uh, once you kind of get into it, there's some like pretty great, uh, suspenseful moments and, you know, it's got that short runtime. This moves. There's not a lot of fat on it. I like the performances. I like the single location setting. Stan, my favorite, uh, se- sequence in the whole movie is, so the basic premise is that they murder a man. These two guys murder somebody with a rope. They change, they, you know. They hit him on the head with the rope. No, they they strangle him, of course. Um, how else are you going to kill someone with a rope? <laughs> so they strangle this guy, and that's how it opens, so it's not a spoiler. And they say, we're so good at crimes that we're going to stick this guy's body in this trunk here. And we, just because we're so good at committing murder, we did the perfect crime, we're going to invite a bunch of people over for a dinner party and have them eat around this trunk, and they're not even going to lose that body in it. And it's like... All right, I don't know. I don't know why you'd do that, but sure, whatever. Let's go with it. And the the best segment is where um, there's a housekeeper and she's like cleaning up after the dinner, and she keeps walking over to the trunk to like open it up and put stuff away. But every time she gets to the trunk, she grabs something else and like takes it across the room. And the whole time, like people are talking and you can hear them like having this dialogue, but we're just focusing on her. And every time she gets to the trunk, it's like, oh, is she gonna open it? Is she gonna open it? And just such a, such a fun suspenseful sequence. And uh, the movie's got quite a few of those, and uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. It was a I've only seen this one time, but it was a good first time Hitchcock watch. Wow, I didn't know it was only eighty minutes long. Oh yeah. Wow, uh, I've heard nothing but good things about. It. In fact, my my dad talked that one up quite a bit when I was younger, but I, I actually still have not seen it. But is that like you know Hitchcock's filmography quite a bit better than myself? Like is that like the purest distillation of his whole spiel about the the bomb in the room and and the concept of building suspense on film that would probably be one of the best examples of it i would have to say yeah that is a pretty good example of that yeah i mean it's just substitute a body for a bomb it's literally in the middle of the scene for most of the movie apparently Mm -hmm. (laughs) it almost sounds like like a like a i don't know a, a dare like on like a personal challenge to himself or something he's like can i can i take my own statement and like literally build an entire film out of that yeah i don't i don't know when he what like what year or when he made that statement but could be the fact that he he made that statement and said i'm gonna fucking do it and then he made this movie or maybe he uh made this movie and then he was like you know it's kind of like there's a bomb in there and i don't know but yeah it's it's definitely that's got to be the best example of it because it is like a feature-length version of that. Yeah, most discussions I, I I dip into about that one typically center around the editing and the the transitions and how it is largely put together to look fairly seamless for the most part. But like from a premise standpoint, it almost feels like a like an adaptation of a stage play or something. It might. I can't remember if it was a stage play or a novel. It was based on something for sure. Oh, okay. Uh, either way, like from a just a pure, just like dramatic standpoint, that sounds ripe for for all sorts of awesome sequences. Um, and uh, who's who's in it, by the way? Good old Jimmy, uh, not Jimmy C. That's James Cameron. Jimmy Stewart. Good old Jimmy <laughs> Jim, Jimmy S. Jimmy Stewart. James Stewart. Oh. Um, Jimmy Stewart's great. I know some people 
at least I've a couple of reviews I read or something were a little critical of his casting because he, you know, he's good at playing the everyman, and in this one he plays a professor, and they're like, I don't buy it. Well, I he's an it. actor. It's like he's an actor. He's doing some of that acting yeah, shit. I thought he was like, fine. Get your, get your head out your ass. He's, <laughs> he's, I mean, he's not... I don't know. It's it's a weird movie because, like, yeah, the main characters are kind of the villains, and he doesn't really come in until pretty good length into the movie, but he is kind of the one at the end who sort of, you know, pulls the thread and of the rope, pulls the thread, and uh, unravels everything. So he kind of is the main character, the protagonist, but he's he's not in it like as much as you would think, even though he is top build. But um, yeah, it's it's solid. It's good stuff. I mean, this guy, the movie's eighty minutes. He probably didn't. He doesn't show up till a half hour in. This guy, he was probably on set for two days. He's really, sure hitch. I'll make a quick one for you. We'll bang out a quickie. <laughs> oh yeah, Hitch! Uh, just uh, have me on the set for uh, it's two days. We'll, we'll shoot. We'll shoot this fucker. He said, he said, "Hey, I've only got two days. I mean, we better do some really long takes. Some Hitch. Let's let's." And he's like, "All right, we're gonna do it then. That's why I'll, I'll do all long takes." Okay, Jim. All right, we'll do all long takes. You wanna get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Just picturing Hitchcock. I don't. I don't know if he could ever get up there in terms of energy level, but that would be pretty funny to see. I'm sure someone like Mike Myers would put on a fat suit and take a swing at a skit like that or yeah, something. Yeah, but yeah. isn't it crazy whenever you think of like an early Hitchcock film and you picture him directing and you imagine that he's like 65 years old, even though he was like probably 30 when he made it. Like I can never picture him as being young. Yeah, yeah, he he does have that quality to him. I, I just kind of assumed like, ah, he was always old. Yeah. <laughs> like, he always, he always like looked. He always looked like that. <laughs> it's like no, no, not always. But you know, that's that's just the image we all have in our head. But um, last question I got about that one is, um, it sounds like a pretty. Uh, I mean, it's only eighty minutes long, and seems like it has a pretty small cast, and probably takes place in like one location. Um, it sounds very streamlined and very and just kind of small i guess because mm-hmm. a lot of hitchcock movies have like a it, it's almost like tradition it goes fucking ape shit uh, at in the last reel where it's like the whole the whole world goes fucking crazy and like i'm thinking of like what strangers on a train where like the carousel sequence is just like what the fuck happened yeah. <laughs> like is there anything like that uh, or is it just like a straightforward thriller through the end no it's pretty it's pretty straightforward yeah it's uh yeah it definitely doesn't get too crazy or anything at the end um okay yeah it's all pretty much one location there's a couple of uh exterior uh, establishing shots of like a street show where they are but other than that yeah it's all in there and it's uh it's a nice nice simple suspenseful tight little film okay well i i should probably watch that one especially considering how short it is and and it has been talked up so much like like i said my dad was telling me when i was a kid like rope's fucking cool you should watch it <laughs> i can't uh i don't think this was included in any of the uh hitchcock uh 4k releases no it is still uh blu-ray only so oh sure surprising yeah because it is well known it's not like it's a forgotten hitchcock or anything yeah the fact that they've done two uh hitchcock sets and haven't released this one i'd say this is i mean i'd still say this is upper tier for sure it's a, maybe it's like a rights issue or something could be yeah like, that that shit annoys me <laughs> it's like it's like you have you have like the perfect opportunity to smash all this together but it's like there's just like one disparate title that happens to belong to some other production house or something like i'm looking at you marvel movies where it's like we got a 
couple of just stray Paramount titles in there in the early goings and like a, a random Sony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Ah, okay. Oh, okay. So what do I got next? Um, uh, this is a fairly random pick. Uh, in fact, I just uh, fished it out from behind my shelf uh, because it fell uh, probably three months ago, and I was just I was too lazy to move the damn shelf and pull it out. But uh, this is not an amazing movie, but um, I checked the back, and uh, it is 88 minutes long. Um, and also, it happens to tie into a film that uh, Brad uh, had talked about a little on his uh, on his podcast, the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, so I have here uh, Eric Red's. Uh, body parts mm. uh, starring Jeff Fahey um, who I happen to quite like um, he's I don't know if he, he ever had like that leading man quality like I don't know if Jeff Fahey ever put any asses in any seats but I just appreciate seeing the guy like like he had that like stretch in the 90s where he was kind of hot shit and it's like you know this guy's got big hair he's got big eyes we, we, can, we can make some shit with him it's yeah. not going to be amazing but it's going to be a movie. Right? He, had a, he had a great <laughs> little stint on Lost as well. He was a pilot on there. Oh, he was. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, Brad is a very big fan of Lost. Uh, I myself have not seen it aside from a few minutes of the first episode because my brother needed to show me the guy fly into the jet engine because he thought it was the funniest fucking thing he'd ever seen. Yeah. So he just kept rewinding that part over and over and over again. But that's that's the extent of my lost knowledge is watching that man on that beach fly into a church. It's a good one. It's a good great. one. It's a good family memory. My, yeah. my parents were in the room for that one. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, body parts. This is a uh, Scream Factory disc. Um, it's a uh, produced, I think, by Frank Mancuso Jr., who's part of the Mancuso family that gave us a think friday the 13th and whatnot but um the way this ties into uh what i was saying about brad's show the cinema speak podcast is brad very recently uh watched um catherine bigelow's uh near dark mm. um and that is written by eric red gotcha. who directed this film um and i i've long maintained and this was actually intended to be like a project for catching up on cinema that I probably abandoned by now, largely because I've seen all the movies. Kyle, I don't think has seen any of them, but um, I took it upon myself to like screen them ahead of time, and unfortunately, I find all of them to be underwhelming to some degree. So it's like a novel concept, but I don't know if I can take it anywhere. Anyway, the project uh, would have been the Eric Red trilogy um, because he's a he's a writer slash director. Um, and I noticed a funny little quirk in his filmography wherein he wrote Near Dark, he directed Body Parts, and he also directed, um, I think it's called Bad Moon. Um, so in essence, he has made, he's been attached to a vampire film, a quote Frankenstein film, and a werewolf film. Hmm. And I was like, so classic, like universal horror monsters, um, all featuring the same guy and taking like a modern stab. Uh, at the at those tropes and and the trappings of those movies and whatnot only problem with that is like that's a really cool idea for like a a topic of discussion but i don't know that i feel anything particularly strongly about any of these movies um like brad uh unfortunately near dark was not my favorite um people fucking love that movie i i thought i was gonna like i everyone's like this movie's hot shit 
Me too. I, I spent a, a little bit too much money on a special edition DVD of it because I couldn't find it anywhere for one because uh, the only Blu-ray that exists of it has the Twilight cover. Um, it was mark. It was clearly marketed to attempt to cash in on that sort of thing, but it's not very good quality. It's it's not very well regarded that particular disc. But online, I don't know about one on one, but like online, like on Twitter and Reddit and whatnot, people fucking love Near Dark, and and even a uh, Red Layer Media recently put out a, an episode on it that. I was really happy to hear their take on it because um, I had already seen it by the time that episode came out, and I found that I largely agreed with a lot of their sentiments about it. I, th- I found that was a very honest take on it, where it's like, it has qualities to it, for sure. Like, it looks great at times, and some of the ideas at work are really awesome. There's a couple of decent, like, really good scenes, but on the whole, it just didn't grab me very much. But I, I was... I was blown away by just how much like love there is for that movie, um, such that maybe it was overhyped by the time I got to it, uh, which was probably three years ago. Um, and yeah, it it's it's okay. I, I own it. I, I don't know that I'll be watching it again anytime soon. And unfortunately, I like nobody gives a shit about body parts. But <laughs> I, I heard a fun podcast about, it and I was like, oh, I want to see Jeff Fahey punch people like with a with a Frankenstein arm. Sure, that sounds like a movie. And sure enough, it it's it's about that. Like, not nothing of it is is particularly like impressive. Uh, Brad Dourif's kind of cool in it. It's really interesting seeing Brad Dourif just kind of play a well-adjusted, happy dude for the most part. Um, that's really rare, um, but he does quite well. He's a fantastic actor, so he can sell the hell out of it. But uh, the makeup effects weren't exactly what I was hoping. Like the podcast that I listened to made it sound a lot more creative and gruesome than it actually ended up being. Um, and in too many instances, it just felt like it wasn't going hard enough i guess like there's so many cool ideas so many good ideas for scenes occur in this film and it's just like well you could have like again ambition maybe is the problem where it's like you they just didn't try to make more of the material that was on the page i guess but um i think i i may be saying the name wrong but i think the werewolf movie is called bad moon yeah i think it is i looked it up uh the werewolf uh creature effects like the animatronic and the suit look really good um the premise is kind of fun uh it's it's a a different take uh as any werewolf should any werewolf movie should uh, very much like a shark movie have something new to bring to the table and it most certainly does um but aside from like a really really juicy kill at the beginning of it um i also found it to be largely kind of flat um so i don't know why i decided to share this one particular probably just to tie in with a uh, brad's uh thoughts on near dark but anyway that's a uh, eric red's body parts hey well i'm glad i'm not alone on near dark because i thought i was uh huffing glue or something while i watched it i was like why why does everybody love this thing what what the heck's going on here i thought it was mediocre at best yeah it's not often that happens where i, I watch a movie and and like it it's so universally beloved that i actually start to question my own thinking about it like maybe i watched it wrong or something but then you know enough time passes and you're like well that's just asinine like like come on trevor you've been doing a, a movie review podcast for a few years you own a ridiculous number of movies you know how to make critical assessments of of what works for you and what doesn't and 
ultimately it just it just didn't it has a couple of knockout scenes i will give it that much like absolutely but on the whole it just just it just didn't grab me i guess unfortunate so near dark or, or uh, body parts any uh concluding thoughts um i think that i think that about uh covers it i i guess i am curious to check out uh the writer's other films because i I'd never uh I'd heard of those, but I didn't know they were, there was any connection to Near Dark. Yeah, uh, it all came from my, my fascination with Near Dark. I think I heard about it via Twitter or something around the time we were starting the podcast. Like, around the time I had a reason to make a Twitter account um, and was, like, following people and stuff. I just started to notice, like, hey, a lot of people are talking about this Near Dark movie that I hadn't heard of before. Um, so I... I grabbed a DVD of it and then I'll, I did a little bit of digging and I like did the connections revolutions uh, thing with it and discovered that oh hey this Eric Red guy did a couple of other universally horror films uh, so like I said I checked them all out and it's not great but <laughs> but you know I watched a few movies and it wasn't the end of the world yeah <laughs> oh, but that being said um, Brad uh, Ballas to you sir what is your next pick well, I will uh, mention another uh, film in the horror realm. Um, and uh, this one, it's from 1971. So it's a little bit of a throwback, I suppose. And uh, it is a Kino release of Mario Bava's A Bay of Blood. A Bay of Blood, which uh, is 84 minutes, very lean and juicy. Of course, it is a very early slasher. So, um, it's, you know, a lot of slashers are, you know, close, at least trying to be close to the 90 minute mark or under. And this film, I, I just watched it for the first time not too long ago. I really enjoyed it. It's, um, you know, there's a little bit, it's not, it's cause it's such an early slasher, you know, it hasn't totally found that formula yet exactly, but the first like 20, 25 minutes kind of uh, feel like they were very influential on slasher films going forward. I mean, the whole film kind of does, but the first 20 or 25 minutes, you've got, um, I believe it all takes place around a, a lake or a bay, if you will, a bay of blood. And we uh, follow to start the movie like a group of teenagers or college-age kids or whatever who go to this bay. Uh, they're going to, you know, vacation, party, you know, do some drinking, do some drugging, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they start to get picked off by an unseen killer. Uh, and uh, famously in this film, uh, may have helped establish the if you have sex, you're going to die trope in slasher movies because this features a kill where two characters are um, mid-coitus uh, and they get stabbed while engaging in the act um, by with a giant pole. And that kill was directly lifted into, I forget which one, but one of the Friday the 13th movies stole that exact kill. Where uh, two, and maybe they didn't steal it, maybe it was an intentional homage. But uh, definitely, like, you know, and I think it was maybe four, part four or three, I think, uh, where two of them are having sex and get stabbed. It's one of the two. I know yeah. I can picture it. I just can't put it in which film it takes place in. And you're watching it, and you're just like, man, Jason rocks. What a great kill. How original. And then you watch this, and you're like, sorry, bud. Mario beat him to it by, like, over 10 years. Um, and it, it is interesting how 
like Mario Bava. I haven't seen all of his films, but how his early stuff, you know, very uh, gothic horror, very, uh, you know, kind of like uh, slow burn, sort of like there's some supernatural stuff going on. And then uh, as we get later into his career, he kind of, you know, you could say he had, he adjusted to the times, but he kind of like set the tone of the times a little bit because like this one just gets so much, it's so much more bloody and just like, you know, it's like basically a slasher. And like, yeah, that was kind of coming into like that was the hot thing, but it seems like he was one of the first ones to do that. So he kind of set the trend almost. Um, but yeah, I do like Mario Bava quite a bit. Um I don't know if I absolutely love any of his films, but this one is definitely a good one to watch. Uh, if you're a slasher fan, it's one of his more watchable films, I would say. Okay. Uh, well, speaking as a, a person who has never seen a Mario Bava film, uh, I guess my first question would be, um, well, it's a two-parter, I guess. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> get ready, Brad. It's going to get right. Um, does uh, Mario Bava have any trademarks or, like, hallmarks to to his style like does he have a signature and uh if you were to pick a favorite amongst his films what would it be that's a great question some great questions there um i it's mean like, that's a great question but that would depend on what is is yeah <laughs> i mean definitely i don't know if i can pick like a i'm, I'm sure it's been a while since i've watched all his movies like or done like a whole thing through i'm sure there's like you could find things throughout his entire filmography that are similar but you know his early stuff it is very like you know gothic and like some like classic like haunting tales um and like those all feel like they have a very stop like a clear style um you know probably uh, like the set design and stuff probably very much ex- inspired by you know german expressionism like there's some really creative visuals and stuff but then yeah you get into a bay of blood and like i, I don't want to say you can't it feels like a completely different filmmaker because i don't remember the film all that much but it, it does feel like he kind of like changes a little bit as uh, things go on but i would say if i'm thinking of mario bava it's that early gothic style horror that really stands out um so that'd probably be like in terms of his style, that's the main thing. Uh, in terms of my favorite Baba film, uh, I mean, that's a tough call. It's a tough call. I did give Kill Baby Kill a 4.5 out of 5 when I watched it uh, last year or the year before. So maybe that would be my favorite. Um, Black Sunday, a lot of people say is their favorite. I've only seen it once, I did like it quite a bit. Um, and let's see, Blood and Black Lace. A lot of people say it's the first uh, Jalo, one of the first Jalos. Not my favorite of his necessarily, but it is quite good. So you know, there's. I don't know if I could pick a a favorite favorite, but let's just just say Kill Baby Kill. Why not? Let's let's say let's, I give it a four point five. Let's go with it. I mean, four point five out of five is quite good. So yeah, I'd say you liked it at the very least. Well, you also got to think I was watch. I think at the time I was watching a bunch of Mario Bava films in a row, and at a certain point you got to be like, all right, I'm I'm spending this much time on this guy. I got to give one of these a high rating. And you get to Kill Baby Kill, and just kind of it it came at the right time, hit that sweet spot. I said, like, yeah, this could be a four point five. I don't know if it's any better or worse than Blood and Black Lace, but that one got a four point five just because it's how it happened. You wore me down, Bava. You wore me down. Yep. 
Oh, random question, but um, folks at home, you may have noticed that uh, Brad is our on-site reporter uh, this evening. Um, uh, he's been making extensive use of the Blu-ray.com app uh, to manage his the digital form of his physical collection. Uh, I'm curious. I don't actually use the app myself, Brad, but uh, can you search by runtime or directors? I, I, what do you think I'm doing here, bud? I got them all sorted by runtime. Oh, no joke. Holy yeah. shit. Yep. Wow. Yeah, Blu-ray.com, do, doing the damn thing. Jeez. You can sort by studio, release date, uh, runtime. I mean, just like, you know, great. It, it's a great app. The The My Movies Blu-ray.com app is a must-have. And you're, you heard you're crazy it, that you're not using it. You're crazy, Trevor. I know, I know. I'm blown. You, you got are, me on the letterbox, though. You got me true. on the letterbox. Is I your... do the, I do it right now. You taught me. Yeah. <laughs> I got to teach my friend Santino the same thing. He's doing the same thing as you were, and I got next time I see him, I got to tell him how, to, how it's done. Yeah, Gra- Grandpa Trevor needed a one-on-one lesson to learn how yeah. to use fucking letterbox, but he's got it now. Yep. We're fucking doing it now. <laughs> do you have any sort of like, uh, like not not digitization of your collection, but do you have any sort of way that your collection is tracked, like where you have it, like a record of what you have? I have a like a Google Sheet. Okay, all right. As long yeah. as you got something, because you know yeah. you got to have that, because. Sometimes you, you you do actually like when when it gets large something. enough, yeah. When it gets large enough, you do actually have to do that, and it's mm-hmm. fun too. It's yep. fun for the whole family, in fact. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Blu-ray.com use their app. It's wonderful. Yeah. Clearly, it's made this. It's enabled Brad to do this entire episode remote. I wasn't when when you mentioned that you were going to have to do that. I was like, how the fuck are you going to do that? It's like, oh technology <laughs> like go figure yeah i was like there's, there's no issues i mean i got my collection right here in my pocket i got it all damn that that is pretty nice maybe i'll get on that someday i'm not gonna get on that someday you don't you don't even need to type them in and you just scan the upc codes and they just go right in man it's it couldn't be any easier <sighs> okay okay well <laughs> if we don't get a sponsorship out of this episode i'm gonna be fucking furious yeah we do love blu-ray.com we do sponsorship please um rain energy drink also <laughs> uh, what is my next pick so uh i'm gonna do my my duty as host and cheat a little bit so i have three titles here that um honestly i don't have a whole lot to say about all of them individually in fact i haven't even watched one of them just yet but um they all fall under a the same category uh of of film, so um, I have here three Japanese animated um, OVAs. Uh, now, this is a subject of discussion that has come up between Brad and myself uh, probably a couple of times over the past couple of years. Um, but I'll reiterate it because I find it fascinating, um, and I'm sure two, three people on the internet might as well. Uh, so <laughs> I'll go ahead and explain myself. So I have here uh, the very, very, very recent. Uh, Anime Ego, uh, or Anime Ego, uh, Blu-ray, uh, consumer Blu-ray of a Megazone 2-3. Uh, they had like a super duper special edition you could order direct through their website at least a year ago. Um, but I think it was just last week or the week before that this came out uh, in a much more affordable package without all the bells and whistles, which is what I went with. Um, also from uh, the same the same disc publisher, Anime Ego. Uh, Bubblegum Crisis. Uh, this is the first OVA series. Um, I think this is eight episodes on a single disc. 
Uh, very, very strong visual quality, by the way. Uh, the image quality is superb on both of those. Um, and then I have the dreaded uh, MD Geist Director's Cut plus uh, MD Geist 2 Death Force on DVD in the most awful of DVD cases. Brad is probably just like tearing his hair out I right now. I remember those back in the day, yeah. These these are the single worst packaging like decisions in the history of disc media as far as I understand. But um, OVAs. Uh, now, like I said, this is something that I've talked about before, so I'm not going to ramble on and on and on about it, but uh, it stands for Original Video Animation. Um, and what it is essentially is um, in the 1980s, uh, the direct-to-video market uh, and just the Japanese economy was kind of booming. Uh, so a lot of studios were just cranking out animation projects just because they were all rich as balls and were just tossing money at whatever the fuck they felt like. And there were only so many TV slots available to air all this stuff. So it's like, well, what do we do with these things? It's like, well, uh, how about we directly distribute them to the consumer via just tapes and like, be it beta or VHS or Laserdisc or what have you. Um, so starting in like the early 80s, we, we started getting these original video animations, and it's one of my favorite formats for Japanese animation. Um, it's very unique because it's because it's not aired on ter- like terrestrial tra- television for the most part. It's uh, like the censorship requirements are lessened. So a lot of times these these cover some like questionable subject matters, and a lot of times there's like some racy content or the violence quotient is dialed up to 11. Um, but in addition to that, it's also free of like traditional runtime constraints as well. Again, because it's not playing on television and there's no need for like ad time, I guess. Because like there's there's a reason why your standard episode of television is like 23 minutes long. It's because you need to make room for advertising. Uh, but because these were produced expressly for the purpose of being directly distributed onto a like a physical f- media format you could make it whatever runtime you felt like as long as it fits on the fucking tape. Uh, so a lot of these are like 45 minutes long or, or 19 minutes long or 80 minutes long. They're all they're all over the fucking place. Um, and it, it's very freeing, I would imagine, uh, from a budget and timing standpoint as, as a producer of animation because it allows you to take something that maybe initially would be considered for like a traditional television season format and condense it and and maybe make it more efficient where it's like we maybe we don't have enough story like maybe it's like a a netflix scenario where it's like we don't have enough story for 13 episodes it's like well how about we make it eight and then like put all of our effort and money into making the best out of those eight episodes um and for like for my money a lot of like there's a lot of ovas that are total fucking garbage in fact this is one of them <laughs> this i have threatened kyle with this movie so many fucking times <laughs> because this was readily available at blockbuster like if you just look at the cover art like it is eye-catching like as a kid you see that and you're just like i don't even know what the fuck that is but it's like a <laughs> it's like a terminator with a football helmet i need yeah. to see that and then you put it on and it's utter dog shit <laughs> it's like that's that this is a this is a painting that is not representative of the the moving images contained therein. Mm-hmm. So there's there are an ungodly number of total shit uh, OVAs out there. But occasionally, like in the case with, with these ones, you do get some that fit the format very beautifully. Where it's like, it's only a, like Megazone 2-3 is just 
three episodes. In fact, uh, this is one of the very earliest examples of the format. Like probably within a year or two of the format's inception, this came out. Uh, it's only like three episodes and produced over a, a number of years. Um, and as a result, the animation quality is much higher than your standard episode of animated television at the time. Um, and the story is condensed as well. And a lot of times I find myself just preferring that. I, I really, I'm, I'm scared away from like, I can't do like Santino and watch all of fucking One Piece. Like that, that yeah. makes me shit my pants, man. The idea of watching 1300 fucking episodes of anything, that's just, that's just an insurmountable task in my mind. But if you give me like three episodes, like 45 minutes or 40 minutes a piece, that, I can do that. Like I can make that work. And plus the animation quality will be good too. Um, so yeah, uh, OVAs are something that I, I, it's, it's largely unique to Japan because like here, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but oftentimes the, the phrase direct to video is pejorative. Like it, it's often a negative when, when it comes to discussions of films. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's like a, it's a unique medium that seemingly only existed in that film market. Um, and I, I happen to be a fan of a lot of the products that came out of that like barely decade long boom like it was very short-lived because it 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 it, the bubble burst along with the the japanese economy uh so it was largely just like the 80s and into like the mid 90s and then it's like well nobody has any money anymore so i guess we can't make any more of this stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, but during that stretch of time like there, there there's some there's some gold amongst the oceans of turds out there (laughs) Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because, like, I mean, it sounds like, from what I'm getting, you know, the fact that they were kind of free to do as long or as short as they wanted, kind of, from what I'm hearing from you, it sometimes often works out for a positive, whereas uh, I, it made me think of sort of the whole Netflix thing, and... You know, you think, oh, it's, you know, it's great when, you know, these producers, these studios are hands off and they just let the people make it, you know, if it's 20 minutes or if it's 45 minutes, you know, just make make it as long as it needs to be, as long as you want it. Um, but I, I've found that with a lot of uh, shows I've watched, that's a lot of times a detriment. Um, and the, the best example I can think of is, and maybe this is because it's a comedy but um, Arrested Development, when it was on Fox and all the episodes were 22 minutes exactly, even though like the seasons were 18, 22 episodes long sometimes, the episodes were short and there was a lot that they packed into those 22 minutes and it felt like they, because they had no other choice, they only kept in the best jokes, the best gags, you know, and it so much was packed into those 22 minutes that the thing moved so quickly. Whereas they got they got to Netflix, and all of a sudden the episodes are 30 minutes, 35 minutes, sometimes going over 40 minutes, and they just drag. Like they're like there's still moments in it that that are funny, but you think, man, like if they had if this was cut down to 22 minutes, this could have been a great episode. But it's just like there's like 20 minutes of just stuff that either doesn't work or it feels like filler. Or so sometimes I don't know. It, it seems like in the cases you're talking about, it actually works. But I don't know. It seems like a lot of times, from what I experience, when I hear they, you know, just they make it as long as it needs to be. That's a that's a warning sign for me. Like the fact that 
Stranger Things. They're posting I, the new season's coming out, and Entertainment Weekly. Oh, the final three episodes of Stranger Things are each over two hours, and I'm just like, that sounds awful. That's awful. No, that is. Te- I don't want a two and a half hour. Like, give me a break. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the flip side of that is you also have uh, what Mission Impossible Seven is. They're doing the Deathly Hallows with that. Apparently, they're splitting it in twain. As far as in, or maybe they're going for a three. Like maybe, maybe we'll have Mission Impossible Seven spread across five or six years. Hey, I, that'd be, I, that'd be I great. trust them. I, I trust them. I do too. I do too. I, you and I are in the same boat when it comes to that franchise. But no, I, I hear you one hundred percent. Oftentimes, like in film, it seems, or just in creativity in general, it seems like oftentimes having constraints yields a yields a stronger product. Like it's probably incredibly frustrating, but sometimes having having a little bit of a squeeze helps you get the most out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I my point is very muddled. Like mostly, I just wanted an excuse to show off some new Blu-rays and uh, and also just talk about the 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 format because it is unique. Like yeah. it's not something that we we have here, and it's not even something that's really in service to this day like like they have the an equivalent online like exclusively digital these days but i'm so divorced from that stuff that's like i i don't keep up with it but um mostly i just wanted to talk about the format but truthfully the vast majority of it is complete crap um but uh the plus side when it comes to that kind of stuff is that because it's a a a mid-range format in terms of time in times of like in terms of like runtime even if it's crap, it's only like 45 minutes long. So instead of getting a feature film that maybe has has like spotty animation and is 90 minutes long, you get a 45-minute film that is still crap, but at least it, like the animation quality is, is spread out better, where it's like it, it just overall looks more consistently nice. It's still crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of, like I said, most of it is complete crap. But there are some diamonds in there. Yeah, well, you got you got that's that's what watching movies is finding the crap in the diamonds. No, wait, finding the di- whoop other way. Crap in the diamonds. Yeah, <laughs> diamonds in the crap. Crap in the diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Well, that's enough out of me and my ramblings. Uh, ball is to you, sir. What you got next? Uh, well, I mean, speaking of crap. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. How about this? Let's go with. The third shortest movie I own. Oh. Third short. Maybe I'll go second shortest. I probably won't go first shortest because I haven't watched it. Oh, Which okay. is surprising. It's the, short, it's the shortest movie I own. I haven't watched it. That's surprising. Um, third shortest movie I own is an animated film. We're just talking about animation. So this one, let's let's do a little flashback here. 2016. 2016. I, or maybe it would have been 2017. I don't know. Either 2016 or 17. I'm watching... The star-studded Academy Awards and the uh, feature for Best Animated Film comes up. The nominees are Pixar's Toy Story 5, um, Monsters University, uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, and My uh, Ma Vie de Courgette. Ma Vie de Courgette, a.k.a. My Life as a Zucchini. Which, uh, let me show you. My Life as a Zucchini. 
<laughs> and I saw this come up, and there's they showed you know as as they do, they show a little clip from the film, and it's stop motion, and it's just a bunch of these stop motion looking, animated, f- weirdo looking f- freak kids dancing to music, and very awkwardly. And I thought this looks amazing. This looks exactly up my alley. <laughs> and then I find out that it's a, a Swedish film. And then I find out that the runtime, or Switzerland, it's a Swiss film. And then I find out the runtime is one hour and ten minutes. Hello. This, I mean, I'm like, I got to watch this. So I ordered the Blu-ray, and I checked it out. And let me tell you, Ma Vie de Courge, or My Life as a Zucchini, is a great film. It is not crap. It is great. It is a, a very, um, I, I wouldn't say it's an animated film for adults, but I wouldn't show this to a two-year-old. Um, you got the film opens, the the main kid, uh, his mom's dead. She dies, and he has to go live in an orphanage. And he meets some friends and uh, just, you know, finds meaning in his life amidst all the depression and the sadness that uh, we all must deal with every day. And uh, it's uh, it's 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 cute. It's quirky. It's funny. It's uh, the animation is great. If you like, uh, you know, stop motion animation that feels like it's a little rough around the edges. Still, it's not totally polished, which I actually like. Um, now, I don't know if the Blu-ray has um, multiple versions, but there is a version with uh, like an American voice cast, and then hmm. one with um, the original Swiss voice cast. The American voice cast, I think it's got uh, let's see, let's see, it's got Will Forte, Nick Offerman, who else is in here? I feel like Justin Timberlake or somebody, or um, <laughs> there's there's a few others in here, but um, so uh, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's good. It's you know it's it's a dark animated film, um, but it is it is pretty emotionally moving and. I think I've watched it twice now, uh, and uh, you know, with the short runtime, I'll probably watch it again someday. Yeah, I, I had never heard of that, but just looking at the cover art, it makes me think of maybe a little bit of Henry Selleck, a little bit of yeah. James and the Giant Peach. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, this maybe is a deep cut, but uh, there were some children's books when I was when I was very young in grade school. By I think his name was John Sheshka, uh, the Stinky Cheese Man. Do you know the Stinky Cheese Man, Brad? I don't. I, uh... Never mind. I was going to mention the Umbrella Man, which came up in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial today, but I, I will, I'll refrain from uh, bringing up the Umbrella Man. Uh, yeah, it's a lot more fun when Brad has his soundboard. Trust <laughs> trust me, folks. Uh, he's he's gotten quite a bit of material out of out of the Amber Heard Johnny yeah, Depp. Yeah, I gotta trial. get I gotta get the umbrella man on the soundboard. Please, please do because I you're my you're my <laughs> you're my delivery system for all that nonsense. Because I, I never thought it. I'd have one of the lawyers would ask somebody on the stand, "Do you know the Umbrella Man? <laughs> <laughs> do you know?" The Muffin Man. Like, what? <laughs> the Muffin Man? Who's the, who's the Umbrella Man? <laughs> the Umbrella Man? The Umbrella Man. The Umbrella Man. <laughs> anyway. Okay, I'll... No, I don't yeah, know I'm the Stinky Cheese to. Man. Oh, well, his art kind of reminded me of, of the cover art for that one. But I I adore stop motion. I, I occasionally do it myself. In fact, I, I made a Valentine's Day card for, for the girlfriend using a, some stop motion uh, just for funsies. I... I it's rare that I have inspiration to do things like that, so I jumped on it and I made a, 
like a one minute little video but um stop motion is remarkable stuff there's a couple of like instagram accounts that i follow that uh, put out short clips every once in a while that it's 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 a fucking magic trick every time you see it like it, it's it's spellbinding I, I don't know what there's just something about it that i think part of it has to do with the accessibility of it of knowing that like it really comes down to just like guts and patience to to con- to make that happen um like like i said like a stooge like myself can do that if i have enough time and inspiration to do it but <laughs> brad your your face is telling a story right now what's up no, just, are you uh, looking for the umbrella man right now <laughs> no no i'm just i'm on the page on letterbox for my life as a zucchini and my, my friend charlie uh his review was just making me laugh he said it's a stop motion movie about goofy looking kids talking about depressing stuff in an innocent way. Of course, it's a five out of five. <laughs> uh, tells you a lot about Charlie, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, everything you said about it makes it sound fascinating to me, and I'm a sucker for the for the medium. So I, it wasn't on my radar, but I, it, it very much is now. Um, plus, I've never seen a Swiss film before, so it's an excuse to try something new. Go, go go experience some culture. I mean, honestly, yeah, I'm lacking for that. I that's mean, a, here I, I am with my Raul Julia's M. Bison hanging over my head. Clearly, I, I don't How have do you, I mean, are you sure you've never seen a Swiss film? Like, I I can't even, I mean, I can't think of one besides this that I've seen, but. No, I mean, I've seen Austrian. I've seen German. I've seen a couple other Scandinavian countries offerings, but. I've seen Dutch, a handful of Dutch films. I've started to get into that because of the girlfriend. Like, her family actually is legit, like, Dutch from there. So, like, that was my lame attempt to, like, get in good with mom. Where it's like, I don't know shit about your country, but I've seen some Paul Verhoeven movies. I've seen Robocop. <laughs> but Starship Troopers, truly a Dutch classic. Um, but no, I, to my knowledge, anyway, I mean, unless, like, I'm sure there's some, like, Dutch-produced movies I've seen because a lot of European productions are very cobbled together in that fashion where it's, like, it's it's so cute to see some, some like, European productions where it's, like, 30 to 50 different production banners get thrown up during the opening credits because it's, like, we knocked on doors to get Gam Gam to open her wallet to finance this right. thing. And a lot of times that involves, like, courting production companies across borders and whatnot so i wouldn't be surprised if like i've seen swiss financed films like loving vincent i wouldn't be surprised if some swiss money ended up going into that or something but uh no to my knowledge i don't think i have yeah i mean i'm I'm looking up you know popular films from switzerland and uh you know yeah you're probably right yeah i I don't know any of it any of these (laughs) oh hey you you own one and you've seen one there you go yeah yeah I mean, as as Kyle is is known to say to me, it's like I've seen more French films than you, therefore I'm more cultured. <laughs> it's like Brad has seen more Swiss films than both of us combined, therefore he is the superior cultured individual between the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wouldn't well, go that uh, far. That <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I'm just pulling random shit out. Like I'm I'm not making any attempt to. St- to like make a theme out of our picks this time around. It's like, yeah, everything that guy just says bullshit. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't have a precise runtime for this, but I did check. It's under 90 or it is 90. Um, so I have here Black Dynamite! Mm. Uh, starring Michael Jai White, 
and this is directed by uh, Scott Sanders. And I looked him up, and his filmography is not nearly as dense as I would have expected. Um, I was really taken with this movie. Like, like I remember the early marketing for it, where I could be totally wrong, but part of me wants to say this may have started out kind of like uh, Machete. Yeah. Where it like originated as a fake trailer, and then they secured the financing. And it's like, why don't we just fucking do that? Uh, <laughs> it's like in Machete's case, um, I don't remember caring that much for that one. Um, it has a lot of novelty factor in in that Steven Seagal makes an appearance at the end, and you know that that's just gonna put a smile on my face. Um, but beyond that, it I don't remember much of it, and I I just remember the trailer being better. Um, not not really the case with Black Dynamite. The trailer for this movie is absolutely phenomenal. It was just like on on repeat uh, in a in an office that I was working in at the time when when the marketing campaign started for this thing, uh, and then of course we ran out and we watched it as soon as we could. And I, I love this movie. It's great. <laughs> it's like I I really enjoy this movie. Uh, there's a lot of like subtle gags in there, especially like it. It, it feels like it gets a little bit unfocused as it starts to roll forward, but, like, in the early goings, there's some really, really cool sight gags and stuff in here and, like, editing tricks where we abruptly cut away from things or we hold a little bit too long on things, as was the style at the time. And then, like, things like boom mics falling into frame and, like, actors, like, looking at them, like, like worrying that it's going to hit them or something. Like, I love stuff like that because it's very authentic to what they're parodying it. With, with the material um but on top of that it, it's just like a fun-ass movie like it, it moves it's 90 minutes or less um and the finale it really pays the fuck off and and uh, michael jai white has seldom been as confident in a performance if you ask me like sometimes he i don't know seems more committed than other times but that one like he really went for broke he really committed to the material and the character and he really made something of it uh, from a physical standpoint, of course, he shows up for the action scenes, as he always does. Um, but, yeah, uh, exceptional Michael Jai White film. Uh, it's, it top to bottom, like, a lot of love and care went into emulating the, the texture and the framing and the editing of black exploitation films. Um, it, it really helps, too, that around the time that... Uh, around the time that I had seen this film for the first time... Uh, I already, like in high school, uh, thanks to Kill Bill, um, had many uh, 70s exploitation films, largely from Japan, but also American exploitation films, largely Sonny Chiba films, in fact, um, because those were coming out on DVD thanks to the release, uh, trying to capitalize on the release of Kill Bill. Uh, I gobbled those up when I was in high school. So like when I got to this, I was like, I know this flavor. I've tasted this before and I love it. <laughs> it's like... So this this really worked for me. I don't know how well it was received in general. I do know that it got like a animated series uh, mm. at one point. Okay. I have not seen that. Uh, I think it was on like uh, Adult Swim or something like that. Or, um, but I think there was an attempt to get a, a, a sequel off the ground at some point. But I don't I don't think it ever crystallized. What what year was that when it came out? Um. Well, I'm gonna have to Google that because, like, again, these uh, these damn cases they they don't pick the best fonts. If, like, if you're just trying to read a thing live on the microphone. Yeah. Black Dynamite came out in 2009. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I kind of vaguely remember when that came out. I feel like maybe I was, it like it was so authentic to being like you know of the time that it's trying to parody that I I might have actually been like confused. Like, is this a new movie or is this like an old movie getting a re-release? And uh, you know, back then I was uh, I was just a dumb kid and I didn't even know how to use the internet. No, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't that young. But yeah, no. I, for some reason I never saw this one. Oh, well, I would recommend it. It, I mean, it's short. It has that going for it. And uh, there are a lot of gags that, like I said, probably don't play as well if if you don't understand why it's funny, I guess. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's just really well put together. I would have really liked if Mike Starr was in this more uh, because he is in the trailer and he is in the film, but he does fuck all in it. And that was very disappointing because I love Mike Starr. Mm-hmm. Um, anything he shows up and he elevates, but he does fuck all in this movie. But one of my favorite gags is is really bizarre, but it, it tickles me just right because I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because uh, I I enjoy film editing, like doing it myself. It's, it's a thing that I find a lot of humor in. Um, there's an edit gag in here that just it tickled me just right where it's like it's a fight scene. And it's uh, it's like Black Dynamite's subordinate, so it's the it's not the star of the show. It's just this guy that hangs around him is like his hype man, and he steps into the frame and he just slugs this dude, and it looks legit. And the and the there's like a boom mic hanging in the center of the frame as well, by the way. And he like hits this guy for real, and then the guy like his head turns back and he just shoots them this look like I'm gonna tear your fucking head <laughs> off and shit down your stump. And then there's a hard edit, and the 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 hype man gets replaced by a different... No, the, the the guy who took the punch gets replaced by a different actor. <laughs> <laughs> so That's good. That's so good. It, there, and there's like a like a real missing like frame inserted in there. So it's like, oh shit, like probably a real fight broke out on yeah. the set. So it's a very meta joke. It's like one of those gags that you have to know what you're seeing in order to get it. But for me, I thought it was beautiful. Like, yeah. it was, <laughs> just that look on that guy's face. And that's like very clearly a different person for the remainder of the fight sequence. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened on a couple of sets here and there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps too that the, the hype man guy is not coordinated mm-hmm. and he just like goes for broke it's great but um uh being as you haven't seen it i won't spoil the finale for you because uh it <laughs> it gets quite ridiculous um and it's very satisfying um but yeah i i really enjoy black dynamite um yeah. it's it's a fun one to put on yeah that's, uh, I on, need a to lazy, check that on a lazy out. afternoon i think i'd like it quite a bit yeah i, I think you might brad it it's I miss silly movies like like I, I rambled about this on uh, the, the recent Scream episode that Kyle and I did. But it's like I feel like comedy is, is really in yeah, a place that it's just it's in a weird place. And I, I think part of it does come from the pressures that we talked about at the beginning of the episode about like the theatrical experience where it's like it, there's like a there's there's like two schools of thinking where it's like the one the one school is like okay it's a movie so we need to like put some like serious shit like somebody has to have a cancer mom or something in our melissa mccarthy person fall down movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's like we have cancer mom and then people falling downstairs or like trashing walmart in the same fucking movie and then on the other end it's like really dumb where it's like i feel i can feel myself 
like stroking out while I'm watching this movie. Like I feel myself, I feel I am doing harm to myself by exposing this to myself. But it's like, I, I feel like, like it, we're just, I don't know, in a weird place right now where it's just nothing really feels like it's working for me. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I I just watched the movie not long ago, The Lost City, with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, and I, I feel like I don't know. It's hard to describe the state of modern comedies, but it just, it feels like every gag is just like written, or it, it feels like they they write these jokes that are meant to feel like two characters riffing on each other, and maybe they actually are riffing. I don't know, but it's all it's like there's no like clever gags or bits it's all just kind of like people just like these really quick like one-liners and asides that are just like kind of like you know like i guess it's kind of funny but i don't know it's just like there's like there's not really any like jokes anymore like nothing it's just everything feels just so like it's trying to be off the cuff yeah i i get that vibe too and i think one writing is very hard um, and good writers are extremely hard to come by, especially when they frequently have strikes. And, you know, Hollywood is often playing to international audiences that maybe good writing isn't as strong of a selling point as, you know, scatological or, you know, slapstick humor is, because that's much more universal. Like, English is, you know, only going to play to a certain chunk of the, pla- of the populace across the planet. <laughs> Um, and also, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the writers we're dealing with these days are getting hired through fucking Twitter and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, I'm sorry, a hundred how many characters probably isn't the strongest platform to ply your craft. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I want to say that the number of like truly skillful comedic writers working these days probably is very very small. Like yeah. we probably just don't the talent's probably just not there. I mean, you just think of like just, just like what I guess it's like thirty years ago now, but uh, the cl- like the classic gag in Dumb and Dumber, like where Jim Carrey goes, "What's the soup du jour?" and the waitress goes, "It's the soup of the day," and he goes, "Oh, that sounds good." <laughs> <laughs> like that is an amazing <laughs> joke. Like that is so good, and uh, we got it's, nothing like it's that. That's fantastic. Nowadays. Yeah, no, see, that's. That's clever. Like that. That's you. T- you have to actually follow it. Like you. You. You can't be passive in your in your engagement yeah. with that. And it. And that is truly funny. If you ask me, funny actually. Um, whenever, when or if you get around to listening to our review of Scream, oh, I'll, uh, I'll be listening. To it. Don't worry. You don't have to. But I, I appreciate. I will. I will. I will. Well, I mean, actually, it'd probably be good because you're you're a Scream head, and yeah. uh, neither Kyle nor I am. So if you want to fact check me and. You know, like blast me on Twitter or something. <laughs> Feel free, man. <laughs> like, I'll call you out. I'll maybe, call you out. Yeah, maybe we'll get some sponsorships out of it. <laughs> maybe Rain Energy Drink will want to get in on that action. We'll see. But um, Kyle actually was tying Scream Five into Dumb and Dumber. Like he was so incredibly distracted while he was watching that film that he was like looking for anything else to give a shit about. And he was like, "Hang on a sec." I think this movie is actually like dumb and I th- I think it's actually dumb and dumber from a structural standpoint. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking? About? But maybe give it a listen. Like yeah. it's been a minute since I listened to it front to back. But like, uh, he had a theory and he was pretty committed to it. He kept he kept bringing it up. Yeah. <laughs> Two things I love: screaming, dumb and dumber. I got to see how these could tie in. I mean, they're both pretty great. Um, Dumb and Dumber, I'm due for a rewatch. In fact, I don't think the girlfriend's seen that one, so I gotta get on that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's Black Dynamite. I 
you got enough in you to do another pick, Brad, or do you want to advance to the, the speed let's round? Let's go around the table one more time. Let's do it. I got one more in me. Awesome. So I'll, I'll mention that my life as a zucchini. That was my third um, shortest film that I own. Let's do the second. Well, I'll just t- I'll tell you. I guess I'll I'll stop teasing it out. The the first shortest is um, the kid, the Charlie Chaplin movie, The Kid. Oh, okay. Uh, which, I thought you meant the fucking Bruce Willis. One. No, not not that one. <laughs> uh, the kid, which is fifty three minutes. Oh shit! Yeah, this one is ten minutes longer. And it is from uh, a, a label that you know I love, even though I think I only have two of their titles. That is AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive. Now, this is embarrassing. I, I This was before I knew all about Vinegar Syndrome and their slipcovers and all that. I bought this on Amazon. I didn't even get a slipcover. Embarrassing. Um, yeah, but I bought and uh, watched and enjoyed the McPherson tape. Hey, which is um, 63 minutes and it's from 1989 and it is now I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the first found footage movie because then you'll get some guy somebody going hey well actually and this came out of the whatever you know because um, they you know cannibal holocaust isn't all found footage and that, but anyway on the back of the blu-ray it does proclaim the first found footage movies I'm going by the blu-ray and this is a extremely low budget shot on video film about uh, basically uh, an alien encounter. And I, I guess I don't know if you'd say abduction because I guess we never really see anybody get abducted necessarily. But um, they they see uh, a UFO crash in their backyard. Their family's staying at uh, some cottage and uh, just some some crazy stuff starts happening. You know, it's very uh, simple and low budget and you know, not like terribly well made or anything. They see this UFO and uh, they run inside and then the lights flicker and there's banging on the doors and it's all pretty, you know, pretty basic stuff. So um, they got grandpa to flick the lights on and off yeah, and bang yeah. on the windows. Yep, basically whatever you could do with no budget. Um, and then you do see some aliens um, and the aliens, of course it's shot on video. So, you know, the quality is pretty bad. Um, but they are um, just children in these like alien-looking costumes, and you know the fact that it's shot on video, I guess, actually adds to that because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look obviously like children in suit. I mean, kind of does, but it, you know, it wouldn't if, it, if this was shot in HD nowadays in 4K, it would look like trash. Those costumes probably. Um, but no, it's it's an interesting little oddity. And uh, I uh, enjoyed watching it. You know, I do like alien horror movies. I like found footage horror movies. Um, I mean, I I know I mentioned it on my show. I, was it you that I talked? Was it were you on when I talked about this? I don't know. I feel like I told you this story. Maybe not. You did. I, okay. Was it? Were you on when we I talked about this? Or did I yeah. just tell you this? Maybe I've already done this on Tales. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was a Tales or a Blu-ray or a whatever the fuck, but let's hear it, Brad. So the, there's a bonus feature where it's like a uh, uh, Q&A. They screen the film years later, and there's a Q&A, and I'm kind of forgetting all the details. <laughs> I can't. I probably should <laughs> watch this again, but they're having this Q&A, and they're taking some questions from the audience. It's like a director and the writer or, or producer of the film or whatever, and all of a sudden this guy in, a, in the audience starts screaming at the director and producer 
and he's like, you guys are hacks. This is, you're just a joke. You stole this movie from me. And like, he's like, I had this idea. Blah, blah. And he's like going on and I might be getting the details wrong about, uh, what he was saying exactly. But yeah, he's basically calling out this director and producer and you're watching this and you're just like, what the hell's going on? And the director's like, sir, you need to calm down. What's, what's the problem? What's wrong? And then, uh, the guy storms up to the front and he grabs the microphone from the director and he's like, let me tell you something. And then he almost does like a, he doesn't actually just put like a take off the sunglasses moment. That's what I'd say. He turns into Hulk Hogan. Yeah, all and of he, a he takes. He's like, I'd like to introduce myself as uh, James uh, Farville. Uh, the I'm, I'm the star of the McPherson tape, and we all got you. And like the 20 people in the audience start laughing, and just a great, just a great little bit. Um, yeah, highly recommend checking that out. It's it's a good time. Yeah, I always thought that was neat that you went to the trouble to watch that because that that sounds very cute like it like if i was in the room for that that would that would be a lot of fun where it's like you know it's it's not a big deal or anything but that, that's really cute that they they arrange that for for their own sake you know probably scary if you were sitting next to the guy you'd be like is this guy dangerous is he gonna is he gonna grab is he gonna grab me and put a knife to my throat or something yeah, I mean, if they forgot to let security know or yeah. something, he might get tackled or choked yeah. out or something before he even gets to the podium. Clear the room. <laughs> Shit. But um, was that your first Agfa purchase, or do you, and do you have any others? Um, I know I have at least one other, also sub-90 minutes. I have Scary Tales, which is 70 minutes. Um, okay. And this is a shot on video again anthology uh, horror film. Uh, I think that's the only two Agfa films I have, unless I'm forgetting one, but I think that's it. Okay, yeah, it. I don't remember you mentioning too many of them, so I'm not surprised on that front, but um, I think there was one other that you seemed pretty interested in that came out within the past couple of months. It's it's like a high school uh, film, I think, yeah. shot on DV cam, presumably. Yeah, I think it's uh, they shot it in high school. I think it's called like Pathogen or something. And it's that like a high right. school made zombie film. Yeah. And then there's also, uh, I think it's an Agfa film, Boarding House, which is supposedly the first, and uh, well, probably not only, but it was the first shot on video film to get a theatrical release. So there you go. Check that That's out. That's kind of a big deal, yeah. actually. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let, I can't remember. Is is Agfa connected to Vinegar Syndrome, or are they independent? It's it's like a partner label, so just Vinegar okay. Syndrome helps distribute their stuff, but they're 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 a separate label technically. Okay, that's really cool. I mean, I I think that's really neat, especially because like like I said about stop motion stuff, it's like this is stuff that I used to do. Like like I have shitty backyard movies that I've made. Only pro- only difference is I I was never bold enough to screen it anywhere or anything. Mm-hmm. But these people did, and and now it's like immortalized and pristine HD for everybody to see. And I think that's really cute. Like yeah. I, I think that's really neat because that it's harmless. It's not gonna hurt anybody, and it's just kind of cool that we have it preserved somewhere. Um, we got to get you an Agfoot t-shirt or something, Brad. Like, you got to pimp that shit out. Yeah, I looked at it, and Agfa through Vinegar Syndrome's site didn't have any t-shirts, but then I actually I went on Agfa's official site, and I think they did have a couple shirts, but I didn't actually purchase them. But I might have to get yeah. on that. Yeah, we got to hook you up with one of those or something, because, yeah. like, you're, really, you're, you're, you're putting in the good word for Agfa, and, like, 
wear it with pride. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'd like to get some vinegar syndrome swag too, but I don't necessarily want to be wearing the vinegar syndrome shirt out in public and then someone walk up to me and like, are those the people that put out the porn that I watch? And it's like, well, they put out other movies as well, but yes, uh, that is uh, what you're thinking of. <laughs> uh, give it time, Brad. Yeah. You'll warm up to it eventually. But oh, that's really cool, man. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Um, yeah, I, I remember you talking about the McPherson tapes and like just just the cover art alone was was enough to make it purchasable honestly like it was it caught my eye too yeah. and like i knew i knew bother to look into it but i was like ooh that looks kind of neat um and Brad actually bought it and actually sounds like he had a lot of fun with it yeah it is, it is good okay um what am i going to do okay. so another kind of random pick here very disorganized today sorry um i have here a uh dvd from a uh, tokyo shock and i believe this film is about 90 minutes on the nose uh and this is directed by yuji shimamura uh who is kind of become like one of the foremost action choreographers in in japanese cinema like over the past couple of decades he started out like i he worked with a uh, Ryuhei Kitamura, uh, whose name comes up in seemingly every conversation my, I have my with boy. Brad. Well, yeah. not my boy. Um, <laughs> my boy. Your boy, but I did like downrange a lot. <laughs> yeah, I do. I still need to watch that. And also, uh, the used media store in the University District out here in Seattle, um, Owls, uh, by the way, um, they have a, a Blu-ray of The Doorman that's been mean mugging me every time I walk by it. I'm like ruby rose <laughs> like i don't know man <laughs> like i have a bad feeling about this jump but um but it's like five bucks and I'm, i've considered it uh anyway uh this director was the choreographer on verses um and many other kitamura films over the years um he's since become largely a a filmmaker unto himself uh, like a director as well as a choreographer but this uh, this may have been the first movie he directed um, but this is death trance and uh this stars uh tak sakaguchi uh who is of course the star of many kitamura films uh as well as uh many yuji shimomura films um and this film is a lot of fun um i it has a uh, what i like to call a, a sci-fi or fantasy uh via hot glue gun aesthetic it's one of my favorite things where it's like you can tell all the costumes are just like junkyard items hot glued to each other i love it like it, it's and when it's done well like if you look at the back of the box like it's probably hard to see but okay. actually a pretty handsome movie not bad, like it doesn't not look bad. bad at all but it is a very low budget production um, but it has a charm to it, and actually, it's it's very much cut from the same cloth as Versus. Only difference is, uh, this one spends considerably less time farting around, like literally farting around in the woods. Like that's half the runtime of Versus is literally farting around the woods. This one also takes place in the woods and does contain farting, but there's a little less of it, and it's more kind of just an excuse to do some wicked awesome action shit like the the big reveal in this movie is that uh the sword that the main character is carrying throughout the entirety of the film remains remains sheathed until like the final reel at which point he unsheathes it to uh, to reveal a rifle 
So he, it's a it's a rifle in a sword sheath, <laughs> and then he proceeds to gun kata his way through a bunch of like hooded zombie figures that wow. instead of blood because they couldn't afford blood squibs or whatever it's just dust and also they're like petrified zombies and stuff so it works in the in the lore or whatever but it's just like from there it just turns into like a protracted action sequence of them doing everything you could think to do with a gu- with a sword rifle <laughs> with unlimited ammo of course there is no reloading we're working from john woo logic in this film um also, they innovated some stuff with the action where uh, Takasakaguchi, I think, has a, a boxing background. Like, he, he has educated hands. You can kind of tell when he does his action scenes and stuff. But they innovated something where... I don't know if innovate is the word. Um, but basically, they made these, like, hand wrappings that were had extra padding over the knuckles. So basically, he made, like, an agreement with the stunt people that's like, I'm going to punch the fuck out of you. <laughs> And it's going to look great on camera, and I swear it's not going to hurt that bad. <laughs> but there's numerous sequences in the early goings of this film of just him clobbering people with the, with these, like, I don't know, they're not, like, cestus or anything, but it's, like, hand wrappings that are unusually, like, well-padded. And it's clearly for the safety of the performers and whatnot, but it really does lead to potentially an excessive level of contact <laughs> like normally like like you stack punches like you do this and then you turn your head in time with it this is just him clobbering people <laughs> it's pretty fucking great but it's like every time i like i have a thing that it's it's in the holster ready to go it's reflexive whenever i see somebody take a nasty bump in a movie i'm just the thing that always comes out of my mouth is, is oh, I hope he got paid. Death trance is chock full of that. But uh, funny trivia factoid, uh, Kentaro Seagal uh, is featured in it. Uh, that would be one of Steven Seagal's kids. Hmm. Uh, he has a few, um, one of whom is in uh, the Gamera trilogy from the 90s, as well as... Uh, uh, the Patriot, not the Mel Gibson Patriot, the Steven Seagal Patriot, oh, okay. different Patriot, direct to video Patriot with uh, the heavy set fellow from the Ernest films as the bad guy. He gets stabbed in the neck with a wine glass. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Kentaro Seagal. So one of Steven Seagal's uh, kids is in this. Um, and yeah, uh, this movie is uh, a little more ambitious than you would expect. It takes itself maybe a little bit too seriously at times, but it's a lot of fun to look at the action scenes are wildly inventive um and it was i think it was the debut of the director uh, who like i said was largely a choreographer and continues to be to this day and he's still doing amazing work with Takasakaguchi. um but yeah i remember being super hyped for when this one came out and uh, it largely delivered uh not one i've seen in a long time hmm. but after i've talked about it at length just now i'm like hmm death trance maybe maybe it's time is there <laughs> is there a titular death trance in the movie or oh, does someone go into a trance that involves death i don't know just um, some, the title is has me a little thrown uh part of it probably comes from just sound where it's a death trance yeah okay <laughs> like, that's kind of what i was like thinking that, it might be that probably from a marketing standpoint if you get the right japanese narrator or, or voiceover artist death trance probably sells really well to a certain audience i.e me mm-hmm. um i'm pretty sure that was a rob I, zombie album too wasn't it death trance 
I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds like. I be. mean, I was I was very sincere just now. I'm sure you weren't, but um, but uh, if memory serves, the the final action beat, and it has been a very long time since I've seen this, but which is part of why I pulled it off the shelf. Um, if memory serves, the final action scene in the movie is this really bizarre, like spirit realm battle between our hero and like a a goddess figure. Who I think she might be kind of nudie, maybe probably not all the way nude, but like kind of nude, and like it's the way they're moving, it's like they're kind of underwater, and it takes place in like this black void. And by the way, the the whole like gimmick of the story is that there's this like nameless character dragging a coffin through the woods, and with like, and apparent I think the god thing is like in the coffin, so it doesn't get opened until the finale or whatever. But I guess that that like that. I guess could be called the death trance because it takes place in like a void, which actually now that I bring it up kind of makes me think of Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, that pile. Um, do you remember? Have you seen that, Brad? No, I've never seen that one. Have you seen any Ghost Rider films? I've seen the first one. Okay. Uh, Spirit of Vengeance is, it's not good. Like, it's really not good. They, they uh, Idris Elba is criminally wasted in it, as is, uh, is it Siren Hines? Kieran Hines? Yes, yeah. Yes, to both. Yes, yes. <laughs> that guy. The guy with the frowny face. <laughs> the guy who always looks like somebody just cut a muffin. Um, he's also wasted in it, but um, there's there's some like black void sequences that the way it's shot is kind of similar, but I think that's from the people who made Crank. So at the very least, you get interesting shots and edits. Yeah. Um, the guys who shoot everything the, on rollerblades. I mean, that's their shtick. Like, like, beyond that, I don't know that they have anything to offer, but... You know, it has it has a place. Like again, ambition. Like at least you're doing something. Yeah, at least you're I'm not trying. dunking on him. I love Crank. I love the Crank movies. I'm not dunking on the guys. Yeah, Crank, Crank, Crank is quite a bit of fun. Like, like people should people should never shit on Crank. The people who shit on Crank haven't seen Crank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, I do think that qualifies as a trance that involves death. Let's go with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Brad, being as you are uh, uh, our on-site reporter this evening, um, are you capable of doing a speed round? Uh, I mean, could you give us like a selection of picks? Uh, I mean, I can just I'll just pull out a few out of the app, I guess. I mean, I I, I could yeah, I, I mean, could I could literally I give you, you everything if you wanted. I, I, mean. I mean, how long is the fucking list? Well, it's a little long. I mean, I go long every time. So as long as long as you have air in your lungs, you can talk. But Folks at home, we're about to advance to the speed round of Tales from the Shelf. And essentially what that means is uh, we're out of picks, we're out of steam, so we're just going to breeze through any of the uh, runner-ups that we did not discuss at length. Uh, so we're just going to throw out there and just like in brief whatever didn't make it for the main show. So uh, uh, you you want to go first or should I, Brad? Uh, I, I can go first. Uh, I'll okay. mention in honor of the news of the final phone booth being removed from New York City uh, today, Colin Farrell can re- re- breathe a sigh of relief as a phone booth will never happen again. Phone booth from Joel Schumacher, I cor- correct? Joel, yeah, Joel Schumacher. Shum- Joel Schmumacher did that one, I believe. Uh, uh, by the way, there's a, a current movement to, like, movement. There's a Twitter account that's trying to get, uh, they're calling it Release the Schumacher Cut oh. of Batman Forever oh, off well, the Batman ground. Okay. They they have some, like, date penciled in in June for something's going to happen. It's like, 
you're not going to do shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway. Um, I also have uh, Vinegar Syndrome title, Satan's Blood. Which, hey, I know that one. Yep. Um, it's, uh, you know, not bad. Definitely loses uh, momentum after the orgy that occurs halfway through, but uh, still good. Um, we have one of my uh, recent favorite horror films, Unfriended. I don't own Unfriended Dark Web, unfortunately, but Unfriended is a nice guilty pleasure of mine. Um, let's see here. I can mention... Those are uh, Screen Life films, correct? Screen Life, yep. Yep, you yeah, got Brad, it. Brad's a Brad's a proponent of the subgenre. I I didn't even know what it was called until I listened to him talk about it. Yeah. Uh, also, I I don't think it has a Blu-ray release, at least not in North America. But uh, another Screen Life film host is only like fifty minutes. So that's uh, if you're okay. really short on time, check out Host, which is on Shutter. Um, you guys recently talked um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I'll yeah. throw out the I could throw out the original, but I've done, I've talked about that movie before. So how about Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, which is probably, in my opinion, the worst. I haven't seen Texas Chainsaw the beginning, but this is probably the worst for me. This is the most generic and just boring that the franchise gets. At least it's uh, from here on. I don't I don't know its reputation, but. The fact that I never hear it talked about is not a good sign. Yeah, and it, it also has, it's got Viggo Mortensen, and you don't hear it talked about. So, I mean... Yikes. Text Chainsaw 4 might not be high art, but uh, Matthew McConaughey is killing it in that one. He goes all in. Was it, uh, was it Renee Zellweger, or who was the lead yep. in that? Yeah, Renee Zellweger is in it as well. I mean, that's... That's a hell of a one-two punch in retrospect. Yeah, they they really they didn't know what they had on their hands there. <laughs> um, and then uh, last thing, I guess I'll just mention. Uh, fuck it, why not? I'll mention Crank. Eighty-eight minutes. Oh shit! See, I don't own Crank, but otherwise I, I would have checked. Yeah, that's cool. I do own Crank. I don't own Crank High Voltage, but I do own Crank. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Brad. Uh, let's see what I got. okay so for my speed round i have one that i actually have any one of these would have been fun to talk about at length Uh, in fact when i asked you river river or uh ocean uh this is what i was alluding to uh alexandra aja ah aha (laughs) (laughs) uh this movie's great it's great fun uh, it moves. Uh, it does everything you want it to. Um, it's a lot of fun. Is that one? Would it be a uh, river though? I mean, it's because of a hurricane, I, is it not? Body of water that's not the ocean. I, I don't know. I was I was tongue tied at the moment, so that's what we <laughs> went with. Shows how many parts of this country, this grand, beautiful country, I've visited. <laughs> I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Fuck off. I don't think, I don't think <laughs> where that takes. I mean, no offense to people that live there, but I don't think where that takes place, you're missing out on too much. <laughs> Not all of Florida, uh, I, just, you know, they, you know. I mean. I have uh, Ben Wheatley's Free Fire, uh, which we talked about. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's very immediate. It takes place in one location, and it's very much, from that description, a film that should be sub-90 minutes, and it is. Um, Beavis and Butthead do America. I adore this film. I love this film. It's fantastic. Is that, is that um, a new pickup? Was... Didn't that just come out? Yeah, uh, 
a few weeks ago, maybe less than a month ago, I think. Um, yeah, I watched this almost as soon as I got it. Like I was intending to screen it for the girlfriend because she doesn't have any knowledge of Beavis and Butthead. Um, but I got to see this in the theater. I had a cool uncle. I, oh, I have a cool uncle uh, who took me and my brother to see this when I was way too young to get it. Um, but I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I continue to to this day. There's some truly amazing gags in there that I continue to quote, and nobody gets the reference, which kind of sucks. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I have Pumpkin Head, mm-hmm. uh, Stan the Man's Pumpkin Head. Uh, so this is Stan Winston's, I think, directorial debut. We got a lot of um, crossover in our sub ninety minutes. Like so far, like three of the ones you pulled out in the speed round, I I could have pulled out too. Yeah, well, I, I want to say uh, horror is probably like a really strong genre yeah. for sub ninety minute films, but um, I saw this when I was like twelve, thirteen, around there, and I loved it. Uh, I my dad told me who stan winston was what around that time like i don't know why i don't know how the fuck my dad knew who stan winston was but he pointed at like the predator or the t-rex or something when i was a kid and he was like you know who made that stan winston so like from there on out i was like well i have to see everything stan winston did so i was like i want to see leviathan my mom's like you want me to rent leviathan (laughs) (laughs) i want to see pumpkin head you want me to rent pumpkin head while we're in Hawaii visiting your grandma, <laughs> like I want to read Pumpkinhead, <laughs> and she did it because she's great. <laughs> but yeah, that was how I saw Pumpkinhead. Um, it, it wouldn't be a Tales from the Tales from the Shelf episode if Trevor didn't bring up uh, his boy. He had, I have a lot of boys. Uh, Scott Adkins in Avengement. Um, this is directed by um, what's he going by these days? Uh, Jesse V. Johnson is how I know him, but lately I've been seeing his name written Jesse Johnson uh, at at the credits of his his productions. I don't know if he killed a dude or something. <laughs> He's trying to hide that, but or if he has tax problems. But um, I've I've said this before. Uh, I I don't remember if you remember Brad, but uh, the finale of this movie. If you want to see one of the most spectacular bar brawls in cinematic history, no joke, Avengement look look it up you don't have to see the whole movie like i i'm not asking you to see the whole movie but that five minutes any anybody who wants to see that look it up it's worth your time Uh, that's not a real word is it avengement i don't believe it is i think they need Uh, defense defenestration is though he's got (laughs) to work on like that that title makes me think that movie's gonna be garbage like i mean what's going on here it's actually a pretty solid movie all around. Yeah, like that's it's what, not that's what, what you said. It's I just not looked awful. up the reviews. It's like got like an eighty something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Just like Avengement. Like what the hell were they thinking? I don't know. Maybe maybe it it works for whatever demographic they're squarely targeting it at. Avenged but uh, yeah, fans. there you go. <laughs> Papa Roach fans or something. Yeah. <laughs> Drowning pool fans. <laughs> Uh, I have the Shout Factory Steelbook 4K of Transformers the movie, which actually uh, I've talked about so many times I don't have anything else to say other than watching it as an adult is kind of hilarious because of how fucking fast it moves. 
like as a kid like every like your sense of time is different so it's like it feels like yeah this this movie has a nice pace to it it's like you watch it now it's like whoa we are on a different planet yeah. <laughs> it's like there wasn't even a transition just hard cut different planet different solar system uh it's a little jarring as an adult still one of my favorite movies that's like quintessential to my personhood uh as is the secret of nim don bluth's the secret of nim this cover is not representative of this film this cover is hideous makes me look like a chump for owning it but this movie is absolutely beautiful i watched it over and over and over again because i like the scene where the the rat people stab each other with swords (laughs) i love that movie you should watch it brad it's really fucking good yeah like especially as an adult in fact i have uh, Gundam Narrative, uh, which is the latest. Well, not anymore. There has been a subsequent Gundam film. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's short. Uh, Keita Amemiya's uh, Hakaider. Mechanical Violator Hakaider. That's a title. Beautiful cover. Though. I I'm love this it. cover. Um, I really, I really want to review this for the show someday. I really want to review this, but uh, it'd probably be a really hard sell for Kyle. Uh, I have Aragami. Speaking of Ryuhei Kitamura. Um, that's from that dual project thing. Uh, Crazy Samurai Musashi. Um, this is the uh, like one dude versus four hundred dudes in one take or two takes uh, film. That uh, actually, this is ninety one minutes long. Get it which out. Which is why I didn't bring it up. <laughs> Get it out. It's not part of this nope. discussion. But that was a shocker to me that a film that is literally two shots. Like there's one edit in the whole film is 91 minutes long. That's surprising, yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, and this might just be for Santino. Um, I'm not positive if he appreciates this particular anime, um, but I'm hoping he does. Uh, 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 this is hard. <laughs> I have here all the Dragon Ball Z films oh. on DVD. On DVD. Uh, so that's all 13 plus the uh, the television specials. And I I don't know if these actually were played on theatrical screens. I think they may have been in Japan. Um, but these kind of fit into that OVA format where uh, there's only one of these that's 80 minutes long. The majority of them are around like 45 to 50 minutes. Okay. Um, and they're all self-contained. They're all non-canonical. But they have the benefit of having uh, largely decent animation quality as compared to some of the... Uh, I think the television series was like 250 episodes or something. And the animation would like like fluctuate. <laughs> where it's like important stuff is happening this episode, so let's get the A-team. And that's like, oh, there's a talkie episode next week. <laughs> it's like let's get the b guys in here i hate that brad i hate that so much in tv yeah where you where you can tell that there's an a and a b squad because like it's a process man like you only get so much money to make the make it to the finish line and you can tell when they like really try and then you can tell when they have to pull back because like we still have like 10 episodes to film and we're like way over budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, it's a really talky episode. So let's get the shitty DP in there or something. <laughs> yeah. No, that happens all the time. Like the big, you know, plot heavy, like, whoa moments in, in a season. Those episodes will be directed by like the direct, the A-list directors or, you know, 
whatever equivalent. And it's like, yeah. man, is this episode good because of their direction? Or is it just, you know, this is just the episode where everything happens. But yeah, it's kind of funny because like the word showrunner, I feel like is is like a daily speech kind of thing these days. But I, to my ears, it was new. Like it wasn't something that was regularly talked about by, you know, common television watchers or whatever but these days it's everything and um personally like i i didn't get in the habit of checking who was directing what episodes of of series format things until five six years ago like actually it was a uh, netflix's daredevil that got me to start doing that because i started to notice that where i was like this felt like kind of a laid-back episode yeah. this felt like a little little padding yeah (laughs) it's like so we're we're holding back so we can bring in the good guy next week for like the good one (laughs) yeah that that's that's why i have issues with with the long form format but it's all it's all content it's all there's there's ups and downs to everything but anyway uh that's all i got cool man Uh, so yeah that was that was our what was it uh lean and juicy lean and juicy lean and juicy episode uh discussing sub 90 minute films um but yeah uh thanks so much brad for joining me today yeah, i always appreciate having you on the show yeah happy uh, like to be i said here. feels like it's been a really long time since we talked but i'm really glad we got to do this one for may 2022 but um before we say goodbye uh brad would you care to let the folks at home know where they can find you and uh your super awesome podcast yeah it's the cinema speak podcast uh we're on itunes stitcher spotify wherever you find your shows uh you can follow us on twitter at the cinema speak on instagram as cinema speak podcast on youtube as cinema speak or you can find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com very nice thank you so much for that brad um, but folks at home, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias, on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.